0: we're going to read in Psalm 46. So if you want to do the, like put your finger in Psalm 23 and then turn to Psalm 46, we're going to read there. And uh, then we will pray and turn to the explanation of God's word. Psalm 46 verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. is in the midst of her she shall not be moved god will help her when her morning dawns the nations rage the kingdoms totter he utters his voice and the earth melts the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our fortress come The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is reliable and true, and we thank you for all the good that comes from knowing it and believing it and focusing on it. And we pray by your grace That you would increase our faith as we dig in to your word. Because in your word there are contained many treasures. There are promises of who we are in reference to you. Even though we are sinners who fall short of your standard for us, you care for us. You call us your beloved children. There are explanations of your character that you are gracious in the midst of our deepest struggles. You make promises to us concerning how you will treat us now and in the future. And we are grateful for the many ways that you assure us of your love and kindness and mercy. And so we pray as we come to the study of your word, that you would encourage us, help us to see good, a compelling vision of good that drives away other things, which might be good, but are not best. May we focus on you God who made us and may we come to you willing excited ready to rest and to be changed we pray your blessing on our time in your word we ask that you would instruct us now in Jesus name amen I have many times in my life I have fallen for the trap. Of the promise of technology. Uh, that, 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 that some device, that some thing, that some innovation would change everything about my life. That if I if I just got this latest version of the phone, right now it looks kind of the, the new iPhone, it looks kind of like an iPad, doesn't it? You know, the latest one. It's the giant. Phones are just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and, and, and so we, we've, we can fall for this trap that somehow that this latest, newest device would mean time saved. The, the way that, 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 that this was branded back in the 50s, right, in the 60s as homes were getting dishwashers and microwaves and all kinds of new technology uh, was that time would be saved right, and that we would have nothing but leisure time, that computers and robots would change the world and would free us up. Isn't it amazing how the promise of being freed from the wall, I, I, I explained this to, to my child once. He laughed at me as if I was trying to, to explain a completely foreign concept. I was explaining to Hank that, that as a child that, that there used to be wires that connected us to the wall, and I used to have to stand and talk on the phone. And and we were lucky because my dad had gone out and bought a really long cord for the phone. And so I would sit at the kitchen table and I could talk on the phone, which was like 10 feet from the receiver. We used to be chained to the wall, right? Oh, no one could ever reach us. Now everyone can reach us. And we're chained to these things, aren't we, in some sense? I've heard people say that when they don't have their phone with them, that they struggle with anxiety over over who's trying to reach them and what's going on. And and think about it, just 15 years ago, only a small portion of us had these devices in our hands. Some surveys and studies say that we have 40% less leisure time than in 1975. The 41 hour work week, which was average, has become a 47 hour work week. And if you are an entrepreneur or a high performing professional, you are expected to work somewhere between 70 and 80 hours depending on your trade. Time is not being freed up. Time is not being saved. We live lives, therefore, Nowadays, in the technological age, the robots were supposed to save us. I was supposed to have a jet pack or a flying car by now. you know. Growing up, uh, I watched the Jetsons and it was like, where are the little pills of food that we put water on and like, pow, the food's ready. Like, I want that. Well, maybe we've got it. Right? You could go to the drive-thru or you can go to the store and find stuff you can microwave. But if you watch anything, apparently all this stuff is killing us. The promise of technology and of a better tomorrow has accelerated us into lives of incredible busyness that on some level lack deep fulfillment. And many of us feel stuck as if in a pit. We lack the vision of how to change or to improve our lives. Our lives won't change, though, until we change them, right? The power to change our lives is very much in our own hands because we have been offered incredible spiritual riches and abundance in Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means that all that is to come to us in Christ, all that we need to live the Christian life is given freely to us. The limitation is on our end in terms of our faith. And our ability to trust in the promises of God because of our fallenness or our struggles or our defense mechanisms. And then there is the gap in terms of our practice, what we fail to follow through on. We talked about this last week in terms of our being, who we are in relation to God, and then our doing, what we do with what he's given to us. And we said as we closed off last week, that being precedes doing, that we must be connected to the vine in order to produce fruit, that we need to be in Christ, we need to abide in him, and then we will bear much fruit. But knowledge does not equal transformation, right? Knowing something doesn't change our behavior. I know that I should be exercising. I know it, I know it, I am convinced of it. And I can find a thousand reasons not to do it. A thousand reasons why tomorrow is a better day than today, right? The commitment to follow through. You know what an interesting phenomenon is, those who tell me about gyms, I've never joined one. Maybe I joined one once and never went, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I can't, can't remember. But people say that at, in, in gyms, if you try to go to a gym in January, no. No, you can't find a treadmill. But you know what? You can have your pick in February. You can have any device you want, any machine, because everyone has ceased to follow through. That was loud. Um, things don't change because we have information. They change when we have a clear sense or a clear vision of what a better life could look like, right? When we think this is what better looks like. And and then also alongside of that comes the, the discomfort or the pain of leaving things the same. How many people do you know who have changed their diet or their exercise habits after a heart attack? Or, or who have, have changed the way that they live their lives because they learned that they had something that was precancerous, or somebody who knows that they have a bad habit, be it texting while they're driving, and then something happens and they say, I'm never gonna do that again. The difficulty, or the pain, or the discomfort causes change. Because now they have a clear vision of what their life life should look like. Uh, King Solomon had an experience where he realized that all the things that he was striving for and working for, whether it was knowledge or physical pleasure or the ability to create or the ability to master, Uh, to amass wealth, or the ability to have tremendous influence. He attained all of these things. And you know what happened when he reached the pinnacle and the top of the mountain? He found that they were empty. And he declared that they were meaningless in the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless apart from being connected to a larger purpose, a larger sense of why he exists, a connection with his God as i considered that i thought i'd like to have that problem Uh, all the influence in the world all the money in the world all the all the power Um, but that is not for all of us to struggle with Uh, we struggle with different problems perhaps. We look at our lives and we think, I don't have enough resource. I do not have good relationships in this area. I am not working in an area that maximizes my potential. I did not make wise choices when I was young. I've wasted this piece of my life or any of these things. And we look at our life and we say, where is the, the joy and the excitement and the vision and the 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 desire to engage my life with Passion, how do I get there? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. First, here's the good news the good news is that what we desire is possible. What we desire, deep meaning and fulfillment, is possible. Here's the bad news. And I've said it already, I'm going to say it again because they say repetition is the mother of learning. Um, It often takes pain. To break through our stubborn, self-absorbed, culturally focused or ingrown, broken thinking. It is pain that leads us out of our self-focus. And very often it's our own self-focus that prevents us from experiencing the very things we desire most. We desire joy. We desire peace. We desire fulfillment. And it is our pursuit of these things in our way that shuts them down in our life. We said last week that being must produce doing. That our relationship with God comes primary and that's where fulfillment is to be found. We hear the words of Psalm 46, verse 10 Perhaps you've seen them on Pinterest or on a mug, right? Be still and know that I am God. And we think, that's what I need, right? I need, I need to be still and I need to be filled with the knowledge of God. But here's the problem. We want to know that. We want to be confident that, as Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble but what it takes to arrive at the place where we feel that is that the earth has to give way in verse 2 that the mountains need to move into the heart of the sea that the waters have to roar and foam that the mountains have to tremble Verse 8 says, come behold the works of the Lord. And we're like, I want to see the works of the Lord, right? We sing songs like, I want to I see God, I want to see him high and lifted up, right? Shining in the light of his glory. You know that, that song, holy, holy, holy. Verse 8 says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What it takes so often to get to the place of being still and knowing that he is God is that all those things that we found our confidence in, our comfort and our security in, need to be ripped away from us. Unless we acknowledge the error of our ways and say, I have seen this happen. I learned from the examples of scripture, or I learn from the examples in my life, from the things that I can see around me, or I learn from the mistakes that I've made in the past. I've done this before, and I've gone astray, I've gone wrong, and I do not want to do that again. So what must I change Those who are being still and knowing that he is God in Psalm 46 are doing it because they have been brought there by pain and destruction. And now they're realizing that God is their portion, that that the river uh, that that streams through the city makes the, the city glad in God they're they're learning that God the Lord of hosts is with them because they have seen all of their enemies destroyed they've seen the works of the Lord on their behalf and they've been brought through a period of of difficulty and terror but this is the good news we can learn one of two ways we can learn the easy way from the mistakes of others or we can learn the hard way of pain I tend to or at least have tended in life to have to learn the hard way. You know, when you're like, ah, I don't have to change the oil on this car, right? You know, that works for a while, right? I don't need to replace these brakes. You know, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. And then you get the payback, right? You, you experience the pain. Or you can watch somebody have that same experience and say, that's not going to be me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be wise. So, in order to focus on being, in order to focus on our relationship, if all of our doing and all of our, our, our fulfillment and joy is going to come from a deep-rooted relationship with God, how, how do we focus on that area? How do we push back busyness how do we push back self-focus and get ourselves some more some more space fancy time management professionals call this margin right you know that that one inch space that's supposed to be on the side of your paper when you write it and turn it in i use half inch margins to cram as many sermon notes on my page And so I always try to have three pages. It doesn't matter. It's three pages. Sometimes it goes for 55 minutes. Sometimes it goes for 45 minutes. Sometimes longer because I just smash it all in there. That's the way we live a lot of our lives. We don't have a lot of space along the edges to, to allow for other things to enter in. We need more space or more time in order to focus on our relationship with God. But here is the truth. We all get the same number of hours in the day and the week. Though we don't all get the same number of hours, days, months, and years to live. We all have the same time every single day. And so when you say, I don't have time to focus on my spiritual growth, you are acknowledging that nothing will change until pain changes your circumstances. Does that make sense? Right? You're, you're, you're saying, I, I will not change. I cannot change. I'm not, I'm not willing to alter my circumstances. And so something will have to happen. I think this is a dangerous place to be. So we can say then, I want to try to manage these hours in my week, month, day better to get more margin to devote to my time with the Lord. Okay, there are three routes that we can take. Okay, stick with me. We're going somewhere spiritual here. You might think this sounds like business or professional coaching. Uh, It will, just for a minute. There are three routes that we can take. The first one is time management and delegation. Okay, you need to learn to manage your time better. You need to get a task list. You need to get a projects list. You need to use your calendar. These things are good. They're good. They're, they're helpful. You know it's instructive if you're like me and you struggle with the phone thing. If you're like, man, you know, I have no time, but yet you always feel like you're looking at your phone, there's an app for the iPhone. There's one for Android, I don't know what it is. I don't use Android. But there's an app for the iPhone called Moment, and you know what it does? It tracks what you do on your phone. And it will give you little warnings. The little warning that pops out that says, you've spent an additional 15 minutes on your phone is incredibly convicting. And it says, you're over your time limit. You spent five hours on your phone today. You know what's amazing? How fast I go from 15 minutes to four hours on the phone. It just, it just happens like that. But, but as this thing reminds me, I find that my time on the phone is going down because I'm aware of it. Time management and delegation, getting other people to do things you don't need to do, those things are helpful, but here's the problem. Greater efficiency helps us get things done faster, but it doesn't necessarily address the underlying problems, the underlying problems. You might become incredibly effective and focused in your work and yet still not have time because what you're doing is you're filling up all of your time still with incredibly focused, effective work. So there's another step. And this is route number two, which is what they call the core values approach. Where you ask the question, what is a compelling vision for my life? What do I want my life to look like in all of a bunch of different areas? What do I want out of life? What, does, what satisfies me and my personality? What What is it that I would live for and would really make me come alive? You can, you can add into this clarity about the calling to which God has called you. Why did he make a you? Why did he shape you and give you the life experiences and the values and the desires and the things that you are excited about? Why did he give you your temperament and personality and then set you in the place where you are what are what, what do you exist for so so what is a satisfying life and then who am I and how how do I get there and what this will create in you if you make a list of some core values what it will create hopefully is a conviction in you that allows you to deny things to make it onto your task list or your calendar right? If my compelling, overriding conviction is that I'm called to minister the word of God, or that I'm, I'm called to, to work in an industry and to attempt to reach people in that industry, if, if, I'm, if I'm called to this, then I will say, oh, I'm very excited about this new TV series that is going to be released on Netflix, 15 hours of television to watch, right? Right? There's like 14 seasons of this, some medical show. Like how, how, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, how long would it take you to watch that? People are like, I'm binging it again. Really? Like You're going to, no, no offense if you like this show. I, I've never seen an episode of it, but like you will lose your whole life just absorbing that. And so if you have a conviction that this is what you were created for, you will say, well, maybe an hour every other day, right? maybe less, maybe an hour a week on this. You know what? It will be there. It will be there. They want you to watch it. It will be there later. What won't be there are the hours that you can spend on things of incredible significance. My mentor, I think I already said this, Mike Greiner used to say when people would say to him, I made the mistake of saying it once, and then I was there when other people made the mistake of saying it to him. And so I was always like, yes, here it comes. He would say, well, someone would say, I can't can't find any time to read my Bible or to pray or to do this or do that. He would say, well, a man makes time for what's important to him. Oh, once I made the mistake, you know, you feel the conviction and then you say, all right, I'm gonna start making some changes. And then you watch other people say, well, you don't have any time for that. You're like, here it comes. I, I, they're going to they're gonna learn the hard way, hopefully, right? You know? Or they'll learn the easy way when he drops this on them. People make time for what's important to them. Do you need more sleep or do you need to spend more time in the Bible? Do you need more Facebook posts, better Facebook? Or do you need better eating, right? Right? You know, do you, do you, uh, what trade-offs are you making? What are those things that are consuming time that leave you with little margin or area for doing what is important in your life? Ask yourself, what are you doing that you despise, that you don't need to do? Where are you losing time that's keeping you from other important things? One exercise that could be helpful is for you to do a time study and just to write down all the things that you're doing all week long. Maybe do it for two weeks and identify some patterns and say, this is not good and not helpful. It was incredibly freeing to realize how much time I spent on my phone and then to say, I'm going to try to get that number lower each and every day. But route two only takes us so far because though it may shape a vision of something better, it doesn't address the deep core issue. Route three is to take a deep look at the imperfect self. There's a a self that lives within us that we fashion you know that there's a natural you, right? The you that exists in your head, and you've learned that that you is not acceptable to everyone. Maybe you learned this at grade school when someone made fun of you for liking something or thinking something, right? We learn over time to hide ourselves, the real us, and to create an adapted us that everyone else sees. That develops as we process how to protect ourselves from fear or guilt or how to maximize our comfort. Secretly, inwardly, we nourish our pride or we give in to our greed. And we nourish this false self on the approval of others. We learn to feed ourselves on those things that drive away our fear, our guilt we eat and grow on approval. And so we throw ourselves into busyness as a means of maintaining our worth. The problem with route three is that we need to look at ourselves and we need to say, what kind of shield have I fashioned to protect myself against being hurt? What kind of toxic things am I responding to and devoting my time and energy to protecting myself from? Am I doing this to protect myself from being afraid? Am I am I engaging this behavior to nourish my pride? Am I striving and saving and working hard because I'm jealous or because I'm selfish or because I'm greedy or am I filling up my boredom with a certain kind of activity? Do I have a desire to impress someone, and that's why I strive and strain? Or do I want someone to approve of me and to say, good job, we want to earn congratulations so that we will feel significant? What we've done is we've learned to hide the real us, the imperfect us, behind this false self. Because the false self is acceptable and the real us is not. The book of Romans says that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We hide the truth about who we really are and then we run from it in fear. We build a defense against the truth because the truth, if faced, will shred us to pieces. The answer to this, according to the scriptures, is that we rest and find our identity, not in ourselves, but in that which is conferred on us from God. That we find our identity in Christ and not from the meaning that we would create in the world. So ponder this. What is it that keeps you from slowing down and getting the rest that you need what is it that keeps you from getting the rest that you need now I don't necessarily mean more sleep although we could all probably use a couple more hours but there is a resting in Christ that comes when we say I am going to spend some silent time in study I'm going to silence the phone. I'm not going to check email. I'm not, I'm not going to try to absorb God's word while I'm driving. Or I'm just going to, I'm going to create some space to rest and to absorb. For many people, we find this incredibly difficult to do because we are driven by busyness. Now, I have it on semi decent authority, but uh, I'm not going to quote any percentages or scientific studies here, that one of the reasons why we don't rest, one of the reasons why women don't rest is that there is a feeling of guilt that drives them to provide for others. The lack of rest in men is often driven by an anxiety. They find their identity in their work in what they do, in what they contribute. And so when they stop, they lose their worth. So they must keep on working. And so here's what happens. The false self sets it up against the God of heaven who has created us. And Jesus calls to us, as he does to the disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and we say, yes, I want to do that, but how can I, how can I stop? Let me challenge you with Proverbs 6 6, where the writer says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways. Without having any chief, of, chief or officer, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber or an armed man. Now, you might say, that's about working hard. That's not about resting. That's not about creating more margin. That's about working hard and avoiding destruction, to which I would say this. There is a work that we are called to do that is a growing in spiritual depth. There is a seizing of rest. That if we do not embrace and engage, poverty will come upon us. Now, I just have a few moments. I just want to point something out here. Uh, President Eisenhower apparently developed something called the priority matrix. And he said that there were things in our life that are not important and things that are important Okay. And then there are things in our life. Sorry, it's supposed to be up here that are urgent or not urgent. Okay. And we can put our, the whole of our life into these quadrants, right? One, two, three, four. If you're familiar with Stephen Covey, this is a concept that he uses as well. What are the kinds of things that are important and urgent, right? A crying baby, particularly if that baby is yours, is urgent. Right. There are some phone calls that are urgent. I had a pastor once tell me, when you're in ministry, you always take your wife's phone calls. Always. So phone calls from my wife or my kids are considered urgent because who knows what's going on? And who are they going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They're going to call me when something goes wrong, and I'm going to help them. So some phone calls. And then you know what else is urgent? Fire is urgent. right? These are things which must be addressed right now. What about things that are not important or urgent? Some phone calls are not urgent. Can I speak to Pastor Mayer? No. There are other things that are not urgent. Some texts are not urgent. You know what happens a lot of times when my phone vibrates and notifies me that somebody wants my attention? It's like red box right? Or Jersey Mike's messaging me and saying, today is maximum points day. Like, come and eat. And it's like, I did not need to distract myself to look at that. It is not urgent. You know what else isn't urgent? I think I already said this. Notifications on your phone. I suggest if you're distracted, eliminate them all. Turn them all off. Here's a a fourth area. Things that are not important and they are not urgent. Fidget spinners are not urgent. Can you take me to the store to get a fidget spinner? No. Maybe someday. You know what else isn't urgent? Minecraft. Not urgent. Football is not urgent, right? It's not. It will be there. You can watch the play-by-play later. You can get the summary later. And you know me, I'm slowly developing into a rabid football addict. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm growing. You know what else is not urgent? Facebook. Not urgent. Okay? So you have these quadrants of things, and this is where our time goes. But you know what? There's an area of our life that is not urgent, but it is critically important. You know what goes into that area? Planning. Planning's important, isn't it? Yeah. Exercise is important. But you know what? No one's gonna be like, did you exercise, right, in general? You can ignore exercise for as long as you want. It's important, but it's not urgent. It's not ringing you on the phone, you know. I'm the treadmill, I'm lonely, come run on me. Diet, also not urgent. Planting crops is not urgent. Think about it though, think about this. This is what's being talked about here, about resting. You're resting, you need to be putting seed in the ground because you gotta get it in there and you gotta give it time to grow. It's not urgent, but it's important. What else is urgent or important, but not urgent is spiritual discipline, prayer, study of the word, what we would call rest. Learning who we are in Christ, focusing on that as our priority, growing in the knowledge of God and of his word is utterly important, but it is not urgent. My phone will message me and say, pay attention to me, but you know what won't? My Bible. It's very quiet in a noisy world. Prayer is very quiet in a noisy world. This must be focused on. I believe that it was Abraham Lincoln, although everything's attributed to him on the internet. He says if he had 10 minutes to cut down a tree, he'd spend the first five sharpening the saw. And that is what they call this area right here. This section right here, sharpening the saw. Focusing on renewal. Focusing on growth and depth i'm gonna take five more minutes because i want to focus on a key area here psalm 23 the writer says this that the lord is his shepherd and when he focuses on the lord he will not be in want what we want is a lack of want we want fullness but we want kids breakfast cereal don't we we want easy, fast, satisfying. We want chocolate frosted sugar bombs, right? We do not want healthy, s- you know, f- filling, satisfying, real food. We want what's instant. But I guarantee you, if you pull off the road and you go for a month with no sugar, you will put a strawberry in your mouth and you will say, This is the most wonderful thing that I have ever tasted. Because when you pull aside from all the distractions and all the noise, you will find deep satisfaction in the things of God. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. What we want is sugar, but God gives us water and the word. He gives us restoration as we graze in green pastures. We get restoration refreshing by still waters we are reminded through a vision of the grace of jesus and the god glory of god what the kingdom tastes like we learn about the thrill of holiness and being rightly related to god not obedience out of slavish fear and guilt that we've not been in the word and prayer for a while but we grow in the delight that god created us to live a certain way and that we get to live in relationship with him and so as he makes us lie down we develop routines of rest and renewal and we learn to abide with the Lord we learn to love rest and renewal even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we fear no evil this is the center of the psalm right here this next phrase for you are with me We learn to be sustained through circumstances by God's presence, knowing his purpose and his plan, God with us. We learn you are with me, but when we are in the world much and with worry much and focusing on our finances much and we are little with God, worship goes down and worry goes up and we think I do not have enough, I cannot do it, I'm limited because we're focusing on us and not on him. What we need to see is his protective work so we can grow confidence in God and not in our circumstances. And so when we rest, when we create margin and then we use that time for spiritual discipline, for resting in who we are in Christ, abiding, we learn to live with the Lord. We learn to love rest and his protective care in times of pain. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We learn about the provision of God in the midst of hardship, blessing in the midst of spiritual difficulty or attack. We learn to abide with the Lord. We learn to love, rest, and his provision in difficulty. There's a a picture that my friend Reed took that he posted. It's a... It's a picture of a refrigerator and spray painted on the side of it in black spray paint. It says, God is still good. It took a lot of guts and a lot of spiritual depth for someone to spray paint that it's easy to type it on Facebook in an air conditioned church. It is hard, sweating, moldy, nasty, difficult tent conditions with nothing to have the guts and the spiritual depth to spray that. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brilliant confidence in the unfailing love of God and the assurance of a future home and his presence with us now. We learn that God is enough. When we spend time with him, we learn to abide with the Lord. We learn to love, rest in him and his promises. But all of this takes time. We need time to rethink our lives. We need time to reset our priorities. We need time to address the false self and to embrace the imperfect self, which is made perfect by union with God, not through therapy or self-talk or personal time management. What we need is to say, this is what's lacking. This is what I need you to fill up. Shepherd me. Lead me to water. Lead me to green grass. Make me lie down. Help me. We need to reconnect with the shepherd. We need to remind ourselves of the important things. And these things take time. And nothing will change until we take the time to focus. So here are my encouragements to you. Uh, Do a time study. Figure out where your time is going if you don't have time. Second, uh, on the back by the by the sliding doors there there's a little thing that I reprinted with permission from a a guy named Jeff Spadafore this is called a margin exercise you can focus on what you're doing that you hate that you want to stop doing or what you want to do that you're not doing and I'd encourage you to do that I didn't have enough time to print out enough for everybody I ran out of paper sorry Uh, I'll send it out in the prayer request email that goes out this week Uh, but there's some back there take one and then third begin the practice of a quiet time And please don't hear me cheapening quiet time when I say this, it is this important. Even if you only spend five minutes, start because something is better than nothing. Begin and do it again and again and again and again and grow and be changed. Nothing changes until we change our priorities and we devote our time in the right place I'm gonna close in prayer the band's gonna come we're gonna do a uh, a final song and uh, but but we're gonna we're gonna close there father we ask as a church family that you would address our gaps and our lack lord maybe there are folks i know that there are folks here this morning lord who are struggling with too much and too little time to do all that they've set their sights on Father, when there are good things on the plate and plenty of things to eat, the wise man focuses on the best, the tastiest, the most wonderful things. And so we pray that we would focus on growing in the knowledge of you, that we would focus on our Savior, that we would grow in knowledge of the word, that we would spend time praying and asking you to change and shape, Father, for your glory, for our joy, because joy is found in you. iPhones break cars consume enormous amounts of money people come and go but you remain forever and so we, may we focus on those things that we truly value those things that that you set value on and may we throw ourselves into it with our whole heart we pray we ask your grace as you lead and guide and encourage and we thank you for jesus in whose name we pray Amen.